Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. I'm Nico, I'm your host, talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. I'm back. So are you. Welcome back to the program. It's been two weeks, and I suppose I should level with you. So that's what I'll do. Um, Man, thanks for being here. So here's what happened, everybody. Uh, Because, yeah, we've been gone for a little bit, and I know you've been chomping at the bit, ready for some pop culture news and insights. And fear not, that is coming. But, um, yeah, you didn't get that last week because I was on vacay. I was catching some waves, taking in the rays, getting the bays. <laughs> Everything you do uh, on a tropical getaway, that's what I was doing in Narragansett, Rhode Island last week. Uh, fun time. Enjoyable vacation. Healthy living. Fine living. It was all well and good. So I was out there, you know, doing the wave thing and the bay thing and the ray thing. And um, I get back and Friday hits. And Friday is just like another Friday. You know how those things go. TGIF and whatnot. Uh, (laughs) I'm enjoying my Friday, feeling good doing it. Uh, And then I go to bed and a few hours go by. And in the wee minutes of the evening, I am awoken in a sudden panic because Nico's getting sick. And not just any sick, by the way. This ain't just a case of the sniffles. This ain't a case of the Mondays, as Garfield is fond of saying. Nah, this is pretty bad. And I can tell right away because I have... uh, about as effective an immune system as uh, <laughs> as Trump's border wall <laughs> on the border of Mexico. It's just as porous. Just as existent, really. My immune system just might as well not be there. For, I, I don't even need it. What good is it? It's like, it's like the Jets secondary. I mean, I'll try to blitz, but there's going to be someone open downfield every time. So I can fight off the common cold every now and again, but when pneumonia strikes, yes, you heard me right, pneumonia strikes, I will be powerless to stop it. Uh, Long story short, I'll tell this on the podcast, maybe on the Nico show this Friday or whatever, if I do one this Friday. Uh, Long story short, Nico booked a trip straight to the emergency room Saturday night, was not a fun time. Uh, fever of 103 and a half. 103.5. I don't think I've had 103 fever since I was like six. Since I had my baby teeth. I don't think. Post puberty, I have not had a fever over 103. It is very high. I forgot how high that was. Oh, man. You forget because when you're a kid, you're like sick all the time. It just con- And you have scrapes everywhere. You're banging up your knees. I don't think I, from the ages of maybe four to 13, there was never like a five-day stretch when I didn't have a Band-Aid on my body or a thermometer in my mouth. I was just a, a walking, talking mess. But when you're a kid, you can take it. Well, I am now entering that phase of my life 
where 103 fever is cause for serious alarm. And, like, you have a hard time moving and shit. It's really bad. And I was taking Advil and Tylenol and Motrin and everything, and the fever was not going down. So I had to go to the ER and uh, spent a couple hours there. They pumped me full of some fluids. Drink your fluids. Nico, don't forget to take your fluids. Um, Sorry, I, I don't mean to disparage my mother that way. But <laughs> so uh, I, Nico's got pneumonia. And so I canceled Why Is This a Thing? Or we did, I guess. Um, I don't know if Adam and I are going to do a movie Hall of Fame this week. But I have decided to soldier on and do Cultured for y'all. Because I hadn't done it in a while. And honestly, I'm feeling all right. I- I'm As of Tuesday afternoon, I am okay, I think. We can do this for an hour. I don't know. I may run out of energy. Uh, I-, I got a got a bottle of water there. Throat's kind of bothering me. The lungs are coughing up some stuff so bear with me on that but we're gonna do this so this is the first ever pneumonia pod uh <laughs> pod monia catch it everyone Ugh. it's definitely not a disease i would like to have podmonia <laughs> who knows what part of the body that affects uh should we talk pop culture news let's do this Let's start um, political. Ugh, I hate to, but we have to start with this story. I'm a little late to the party. I don't think I've done a podcast since the drama surrounding The Hunt unfolded. But The Hunt is a movie that was supposed to be released this fall and has been removed from Universal's calendar indefinitely. This, more likely than not, will not see a theatrical release. Again, the movie is called The Hunt, and I will... Read for you the description on the IMDb page. Here it is. Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a very specific purpose. The Hunt. It's directed by some guy named Craig Zobel. And it's written by some dudes named Nick Hughes, who I've never heard of. And Damon Lindelof, who I have heard of. uh, One of the co-creators of Lost. The creator of The Leftovers. And I believe also the creator of the upcoming Watchmen series on HBO, a veteran TV guy, and one of the most interesting writers in Hollywood, if not one of the best writers. Um, I think we can all agree that for whatever you feel about Lost, it's one of the most ambitious undertakings in the history of television. So uh, interesting guy, always someone to keep on your pop culture radar. Emma Roberts is in this movie along with Hilary Swank. And it's uh, another Blumhouse movie. Jason Blum, who is the great Hollywood producer behind Get Out and Us and a number of other high-profile horror movies. His uh, his production company, Blumhouse, was going to release this action horror thriller. And it is now off the calendar because of... Some tweets, supposedly, from Donald J. Trump. So here's what happened. The Hunt, according to reports from FoxNews.com, is about a group of deplorables, quote-unquote, otherwise known as Trump supporters, who are captured and set in the wild 
for the purposes of an elaborate game. So essentially, if Fox News is to be believed, it's a movie about liberals who hunt down and murder Trump supporters for sport. That is how the movie was presented in this Fox News report. Now, it's important to note, no one has seen this movie. No one, or at least no one in the press has seen this movie. Those that worked on the movie have seen the movie. Those that starred in the movie know what the movie's about. Those who wrote the movie know what the movie's about. But from what I understand, no one in the entertainment press has obtained a screener for this movie, right? I'm pretty sure. I think I would have seen something. All we have to go on is this trailer. And if you watch the trailer, what's so interesting, and I assume that it would be a little more explicit in its political satire, the trailer doesn't get into the political stuff at all. I don't think it even shows a Trump hat, right? So I think, I suspect this political angle, this liberals versus conservatives thing was meant to be a reveal in like the second or third act of the movie. Like you were supposed to go into this expecting a run-of-the-mill action thriller and you realize, oh, this is actually political satire that put a little more thought into the content. So that's point number one. No one has seen the movie. So to cast judgment on the movie is just insane. Although we're quite fond of doing that with movies like Cats, which uh, (laughs) feels like it's been out for 10 years already before its release, regardless. So we've not seen the movie. Point number two. Um, What exactly is the controversy here? Seriously. What's the controversy? What am I missing? And I don't mean to disparage. I don't mean to mock one side or the other. I, I, and I actually don't mean to get too political. I'm asking sincerely. If you were offended by the premise of the hunt, why? Because I read this synopsis. Group of liberal elites led by Hillary Swank hunt down a group of Trump supporters for blood sport. I assume just because I watch movies, and I think most people watch movies enough to know that the Trump supporters would at the very least be presented as sympathetic heroes. Perhaps it wouldn't be a pro-Trump movie. At the very least, the movie would be politically neutral, if not leaning toward the direction of the right. But there's no way, there's absolutely no way that the group hunting down the Trump supporters would be portrayed as the good guys. Or that this practice of hunting down those you politically disagree with would be in some way cathartic for the audience. There's just no way. I mean, like, I don't watch Friday the 13th and root for Jason Voorhees. Or if I am at least following Jason Voorhees, I understand murdering a bunch of campers in the middle of the woods not a good thing to do, right? Even if the campers in the woods die and die in extraordinary fashion, and I may even be entertained when they meet their demise, I still recognize Jason Voorhees, a villain, a fiend, not someone to root for, you know? 
<laughs> like, I just feel like that is a, a standard trope of filmmaking. Like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. D- despite how Fox News or the or Trump portrayed this, there is no possible way with this premise that the Trump people would be portrayed as the bad guys or that the audience would go to this movie. Like the idea that liberal elites or left-leaning people would pay $13 to go to a movie theater to watch Trump supporters slaughtered. Like this ain't ancient Rome, bro. These ain't the Colosseums. There's no gladiators here. Anyway, uh... (laughs) Craig Zobel, the director of the film, spoke out just today, as a matter of fact, um, and backed up everything I just said, essentially. Um, Talking about the film, I'll read the quote for you. (laughs) Our ambition was to poke at both sides of the aisle equally. We seek to entertain and unify, not enrage and divide. It is up to the viewers to decide what their takeaway will be. He continues, I wanted to make a fun action thriller that satirized this moment in our culture where we jump to assume we know everyone's beliefs because of which team we think they're on and then start shouting at them. They rush to judgment, or no, I'm sorry, this rush to judgment is one of the most relevant problems of our time. So um, again, although he didn't go into specific plot details of the movie, we can infer, I think safely infer, perhaps... It's an assumption too far for most people. We can infer that this was meant to be a political satire about our hyper-divided times and not about a group of liberal elites systematically slaughtering conservatives uh, for catharsis and glory. I think. I don't know. Actually, no, I do know. There's no fucking way this movie would have been made. If we were supposed to root for the liberals. Ugh. So, anyway, Trump tweets this out. This was uh, a while ago, actually. Yeah, this was August 9th, 11 days ago. Liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level and with great anger and hate, exclamation part. Um, they like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite. The movie coming out, does not name the movie, by the way, is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. They create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. Um, of course he tweeted this out. Of course he did. Of course Fox News wrote about it. This catnip. Catnip for the base. What a great distraction. What a great thing to tweet, by the way, in the wake of the El Paso and Dayton shootings. Of course, let's distract. Hollywood's putting out a movie with guns, and they're killing Trump supporters. They say, I incite violence. Well, look at what these guys are doing in a major motion picture. So, of course, he's going to do it. Because here's the thing, people. Trump doesn't deal with nuance very well. Trump doesn't deal with minutia. He doesn't operate in the margins. He operates with big, bold lettering. So never mind the specifics. That one premise that Fox News reported on is enough for Trump. 
He didn't even bother to get the name of the movie right. He just heard there's a movie where liberals are killing conservatives. Quick to the Twitter mobile. That's what he does. You know the drill? Look, that reaction did not surprise me one iota. Because Trump, like many other people, is living in a world without context. In an era without context. That is, unfortunately, the way the world is going. The headline means much more than paragraph three. And the divide is only getting greater. We want less detail, more big ideas. And generally speaking, all the good stuff is in the middle. All the detail, all the nuance is the stuff that's most valuable. And when you erase that, what are you left with? A bunch of words to shout at each other. This no context thing is really dangerous. And it's creeping into movie making in a very alarming way, especially as of late, right? We had this thing. Remember First Man last year? That movie First Man didn't make a ton of money, didn't do well at the Oscars, considered a flop. I actually kind of like that movie. Um, But it's the Jamie and Chazelle, um, Neil Armstrong biopic with Ryan Gosling at the center. And there was this controversy. I believe Marco Rubio was the one that, that lit the powder keg on this. There was this controversy brewing weeks ahead of the movie that the flag planting on the moon would not be portrayed in the moon sequence in First Man. And so a bunch of people on the right jumped to these assumptions and uh, called the movie anti-American and they threatened to boycott the movie and uh, wouldn't you know it, three weeks later, movie comes out, the American flag is plastered around the whole thing. I'll give you another example from just a few months ago. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood debuts at Cannes, and that one critic at the Q&A press junket starts interrogating Tarantino about Margot Robbie's speaking lines, saying she doesn't have as many lines as Leo and Pitt, and he takes uh, umbrage with that. And the story blows up on Twitter, and... um, It was implied that the movie is sort of a sexist portrayal of Sharon Tate, but if you actually see the movie, as I did, uh, it's actually quite a lovely portrayal of the character, and Margot's really good in the movie, and she has a lot of screen time, and it's quite heroic and loving and beautiful, and yeah, the premise is just totally destroyed. It was just an assumption made by critics and audience members in bad faith, and look, this happens It happens a lot, and I'd be lying if I said it had nothing to do with politics, because of course it does. We're living in hyper-polarized times, hyper-politicized times, and that means the stuff of Hollywood, the stuff of pop culture, the stuff of art is fair game for political debate, and people on both sides of the aisle are jockeying for the upper hand. They're looking for the one kill shot, the one line that's going to destroy the other side. And the one thing they don't want is context, because context is the enemy of political discourse. It muddles the conversation. It makes the details murkier. It's harder to portray the other side as the enemy and yourself as virtuous, because the details get messy. It's real easy to argue in black and white. Gets much more difficult in the gray zone.
So if you want to portray Hollywood as a bunch of un-American elites, yeah, First Man didn't have the scene where Neil Armstrong plants the flag. And oh yeah, that Quentin Tarantino guy, total fucking sexist. Like Margot Robbie had less speaking lines than Brad Pitt. That misogynist, that woman hating Quentin Tarantino. Well, neither detail is true. They're both illegitimate. And you would only know that if you saw the movies. But of course, no one sees movies anymore. And that's what I think I'm trying to protect more than anything else. Regardless of what you feel about these films, regardless of what you feel about these filmmakers and their ideology and their political beliefs, like, uh, can we at least just see the movies? Can we treat them as movies before we treat them as political pawns? Can we attempt to understand the art before we break it down for the left and the right? I don't know. Just an idea. This shit really bothers me. It bothered me in 2014 when they pulled the interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen because Kim Jong-un was threatening nuclear war. It just really bothers me when politics gets in the middle of art because this is where we're supposed to have the nuanced conversations. This is where we're supposed to explore complicated ideas without casting judgment. This is where we're supposed to have fun. And it just seems to me that those looking to exploit art for political purposes are ruining the fun. So yeah, Trump's going to do it. But that doesn't mean you have to. Here's my only request. See the movies. Just go to the movies. Watch them. Then hit me up with your thoughts. That's all I ask. See the movies. Think about them. Then comes your opinion. And this isn't just political. Like, Sonic the fucking Hedgehog? If you're interested in that movie, go see it. Don't start Twitter campaigns eight months in advance because you don't like how Sonic the Hedgehog's teeth look. Seriously, people, get over yourselves. We are in the business of prejudging movies. I, as a matter of fact, am in that business. And I am ashamed when I watch the Cats trailer and I feel the need to do a 20-minute podcast segment about how terrible this movie's going to be. It's wrong. It does lack context to a certain extent. And it's in some ways inevitable because of the immediacy of the internet. And it's always now, 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 now. Opinions now, 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 now. Uh, just wait. Just hang on. Watch the movie. You may be surprised. Um, also, please do not let all the negative press surrounding the hunt <laughs> affect your uh, your opinion of the, what is that, 2012 Mads Mikkelsen film, The Hunt, of Danish origin, one of my favorite foreign movies ever made. <laughs> I felt so bad for Mads Mikkelsen after this news, because I'm like, oh, I love The Hunt. What? <laughs> Why is Trump so angry about this Danish film about a pedophile uh, or alleged pedophile? Um, <laughs> the Hunt, great movie. It may be streaming somewhere. Go check it out. If you can find it on Netflix, The Hunt, one of the great performances you'll see of the 21st century. Danish movie. 
Love it. Uh, very different, I think, from the premise <laughs> of the uh, the next Universal movie. All right. This has uh, been Cultured, and there will be more Cultured. Just stick around after this break, and we'll come back. We'll do more from the world of Hollywood. Stick here. There's a lot to get to. Um, A lot to get to. I've been away, so a lot to catch up on. Uh, some stories we won't be able to get to, and several stories breaking as we speak. So let's just get into this. Let's power through. Speed round edition of Cultured. We'll start with three stories that broke just today in the last 24 hours. And this one, moments ago, as I was recording. So I'll be learning a lot of these details along with you. But the headline, Spider-Man will no longer be shared by Marvel and Sony. This is a deadline story. Turns out, Sony is backing out of their deal with the MCU. Spider-Man, I'm not sure if the Spider-Man that we know as played by Tom Holland, will no longer be part of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For a while there, they were in a joint agreement. Here's the thing. The Spider-Man franchise, if you recall, has been a very chaotic one. The original Tobey Maguire movies, directed by Sam Raimi, smashing successes. Even Spider-Man 3, although it didn't do well critically, did very well at the box office. So when plans fell through for a fourth Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie... They rebooted the franchise with Andrew Garfield. Turns out the hunger that audiences had for those original Spider-Man movies no longer existed when Spider-Man was being played by a 20-something hipster. So they do two amazing Spider-Man movies. They do whatever at the box office, but certainly underperform on expectations. So Sony caves, because of course Sony owns the rights to the Spider-Man character as opposed to Disney, which owns the rights to, I guess, every other major Marvel character. Uh, I think maybe Sony owns the Fantastic Four. No, I could be wrong about that. I think Fox owns Fantastic Four. Anyway, Sony owns Spider-Man. They wanted to make it on their own. They couldn't do it. They saw that Kevin Feige and the MCU were dominating the world. They were one step away from owning a small African nation. And so Sony says, all right, we'll get in bed with you guys. And we'll do these Spider-Man movies as co-productions. So you can have Spider-Man for your Avengers movies. We'll take most of the money on the individual Spider-Man movies. And there have been two of them thus far. Homecoming and Far From Home. Uh, And it's a win-win for everyone. And turns out box office returns were very positive. People love Tom Holland. People love Spider-Man with Tony Stark. I believe Spider-Man Far From Home, this was just reported on yesterday, is the number one movie in Sony's history at the box office. Number one highest grossing, I believe crossed um, a significant threshold nationwide. Let me pull this up real fast. Yes, Spider-Man Far From Home, $1.1 billion at the worldwide box office. Seems to me... That uh, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Sony. Seems to me you should just ride this horse into the sunset. And you make your Venom movies on your own. Uh, Well, Sony, don't play that. From what I understand, this is, according to the Deadline story, Disney wanted to go 50-50 on the future Spider-Man movies. Turns out, the previous deal was for a mere 5% share. 
So I understand why Sony would have rejected that offer. Before, I'm only giving Disney 5% of my gross. Now I got to give them 50% of my gross? Nah, B. We'll take this show on the road by ourselves. So that's what's happening. Um, Look, Kevin Feige's really good at what he does. And that's another thing that Disney... I'm sorry, Deadline goes into uh, great lengths to describe in this report. Kevin Feige is one of the most successful Hollywood producers of all time, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, His movies, just by putting the Marvel sticker on the front, will attract major box office dollars. Like, Captain Marvel was not a beloved Marvel movie. Uh, Ant-Man, not a beloved Marvel movie. They still make, at minimum, billion worldwide. They're going to make at least 250 domestically. That is the type of brand recognition, the quality assurance that Kevin Feige presents. And, like, this dude's a rock star. He goes to Comic-Con. He throws panels at Hall H. And the crowd goes wild like they're seeing Prince in his prime shredding on the electric guitar. It's like, bro... I wouldn't want to leave that relationship. Maybe he's a bit needy. Maybe he wants half my shit, but I'd rather give up half my shit in a happy marriage than sign a prenup in an unhappy marriage. I don't know. That's that's my take on things. It's no surprise the last two Spider-Man movies have made significantly more money than the Amazing Spider-Man movies because the last two Spider-Man movies are so much better than that Andrew Garfield shit. I'd be very hesitant to leave that. And I know that one Venom movie made money for Sony. That was a solo production. Marvel Studios was not involved with Venom. But as far as I know, that movie fucking sucked. And I don't imagine Venom 2, although the first Venom did all right, did okay business, (laughs) I would not imagine that Venom 2 is going to break the bank. I guess Into the Spider-Verse was a Sony project. And that was a smashing success. Maybe they don't need Kevin Feige. I don't know. This will be the great test. We will see very shortly. What is Kevin Feige's worth to the Spider-Man franchise? I imagine it will be fairly high. Um, so the Matrix 4 is happening. This broke also just an hour ago. Wow. I, I believe I discussed this story when rumors were swirling about. But this is now official. Yeah, here it is. Matrix 4 officially a go with Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lana Wachowski. Um, nothing about this Michael B. Jordan rumor. That was the rumor a few months ago. Michael B. Jordan would be taking the place of Neo in um in the in the upcoming matrix it was meant to be a passing of the church sort of like indiana jones and shia labeouf in indiana jones 4 (laughs) or jeremy renner and tom cruise at the end of mission impossible 4 you know how those things go uh interesting that only one wachowski is working on it i don't know what lana wachowski's contribution was to the franchise uh specifically I I I um I don't know. Look, I don't know. I, I'm very skeptical of the Wachowskis these days. I do not like Matrix 2 and 3. 
I think Matrix 1 is an incredible lightning in a bottle movie. And generally speaking, those are next to impossible to recreate. And that's why you saw Matrix 2 and Matrix 3 bomb so hard. I would have much preferred for a fresh set of eyes to take a look at this franchise. A young, up-and-coming science fiction director who perhaps grew up worshipping the Matrix and worshipping the Wachowskis and looking to put their own spin on the material. This seems to me like uh, an unnecessary reboot. Certainly an interesting idea. I, I am definitely interesting to s- interested to see what Lana Wachowski has up her sleeve. And this could be a mess, but a glorious mess. That's generally how these two work. So, um, look, I'll see it. I hope it's good. Keanu can do no wrong in 2019. It's sort of the natural progression of Keanu Reeves. He found himself the John Wick franchise. He's cameoing in every rom-com under the sun. And now he's bringing back his iconic character. Yeah, all right. You've talked me into it. Fine. Fine. I'll see Matrix 4. Some James Bond news. Bond 25 now has a title and a release date. April 8th, 2020. Interesting timing there. We'll see the release of No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond film, the final Daniel Craig James Bond film, supposedly, directed by Kerry Fukunaga behind the magnificent first season of True Detective and the atrocious miniseries Maniac on Netflix. Kerry Fukunaga's career, a bit of a mixed bag, but I would say mostly positive. Uh, He took over a chaotic production after Danny Boyle dropped out as director of the movie. I actually think he's a better choice. Just in a bubble, if I didn't see the script, if I didn't know what this movie was going for, I'm more interested in Kerry Fukunaga's take on the James Bond universe than I am Danny Boyle's. And that's not a slight on Danny Boyle, whose work I respect, and there are many films of his from earlier on in his career that I love. But I just think the dude sort of lost his fastball. He just made the movie yesterday, the the Beatles movie, uh, where the guy steals all the McCartney songs. You know that movie? Yeah, Danny Boyle made that. It doesn't screen 007, that movie. Um, and so, yeah, I think they ended up with the right director anyway. And there's a lot of interesting people working on it behind the scenes. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, most significantly, the creator of Killing Eve and Fleabag, two wonderful television shows, is, uh, I guess she did punch-up work on the script? I'm not sure if she's the head writer or the solo writer on the script, but she came in at some point and put her own spin on it, and I just think she's one of the most interesting screenwriters working in Hollywood, and I want her working on everything. So, um, this should be, this should be interesting. A lot of the cast is going to return from the previous films, Ray Fiennes, Jeffrey Wright, Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw, and Christoph Waltz. Blofeld back. They're going to take a second stab at that character. <laughs> we'll see how it works. No Time to Die. Feels like a nice throwback title. Feels like a Sean Connery movie. I like that. Just because the other ones, they were so vague. As much as I love Skyfall, I hate that title. Spectre too. It's like, what does that even mean? Give me like an old school James Bond 
this has to be a 007 movie title. That's what I want. I want to hear the title and think, oh yeah, James Bond's in it. Skyfall could be a rom-com. Could be a lifetime movie. Spectre could be a historical period piece. I hear no time to die. Oh yeah, that's Bond. Straight from the mouth of Ian Fleming. (laughs) The second I hear it, oh fuck yeah. Play the music. 007. Yeah, all right, I'm into it. Look, I'll see all these movies. Even if Spider-Man's out of the MCU, even if The Matrix 2 and 3 were terrible, even if uh, James Bond had some production trouble behind the scenes, I'm going to see these movies. That's the theme of the segment. Our corporate overlords have done it again. We love franchise installments. We continue to pay money for them. And we are all the worse for wear. This is Cultured. We're taking another break. We're coming right back. Um, all right. There's a lot more news to get to, but we have to put that off for a second to talk about a movie I just saw. <laughs> I got shit to get off my chest. So bear with me. The other night, just before I fell ill, Friday evening, before the podmonia set in, uh, I went to the local cinema with my aunt, my younger sister, and my younger cousin. And the four of us saw 47 meters down, colon, uncaged. Otherwise known as 47 meters down, two. Why they didn't call it 48 meters down? It's above my pay grade. I have no idea. 47 meters down, colon, uncaged. I have not seen 47 meters down, one. So... I was afraid perhaps my viewing experience would lack context. And as you know, from the earlier segment, I'm a big believer in context. Turns out, didn't need to see that movie. No overlapping characters, no through lines, nothing other than some sharks eating people. I mean, they're different sharks, different region altogether. You can get the gist of these movies. Um, 47 Meters Down Uncaged is an undoubtable pile of shit. It is just atrocious on every level. Like, the filmmaking is really weird. It's respectable because it's actually shot mostly underwater. And I found that interesting. To shoot 90% of the movie underwater is quite an undertaking. And hell, James Cameron would probably come in his pants if he saw 47 meters down uncaged. But it's kind of sloppy. There's not a lot of great dramatic tension. It's not particularly scary for a shark movie. Um... The acting is some of the worst I've ever seen in a major motion picture. And what I found so fascinating, because this doesn't really happen anymore, is that there were no recognizable faces whatsoever. None. And I looked this up. The first movie, 47 Meters Down, had Mandy Moore and Matthew Modine, who I wouldn't call major A-list celebrities, but recognizable enough to do some solid business in an opening weekend. You know, you put them with a flashy premise and people will at least give your movie a a second look. So that movie makes money. They double the budget for the following. Let me, let me look up the exact numbers. Uh, 47 meters down. Wow. Okay. 
I did not realize the original was such a smashing success. $5.3 million budget grossed $44 million at the box office. Did very well for a low-grade horror movie that I don't think had a tremendous advertising budget. Like I think it was just like a, a good sleeper hit. So, all right, that movie does business. You got to come out with a sequel. So they do that, and they put $12 million towards this movie, and they cast literally the fucking improv troupe from your college. They, they go to your high school theater department for the casting on 47 meters down uncaged. There wasn't even like one of those guys in this movie. Like never mind the names. Obviously I didn't recognize anyone in the opening credits, but there wasn't one of those guys where you're like, Oh yeah, that guy. I saw him in an episode of CSI once. Like, there is zero name recognition. Nobody is in this movie. They couldn't get Michael Madsen in this movie. They couldn't get Dave Coulier in this movie. It seems like they didn't even try. They were just like, sharks. You like sharks, don't you, kids? Come on, I dare you not to see our shark movie. Of course you're going to see our shark movie. Because y'all fucking love sharks. That was the only draw. They took their entire $13 million budget and they put it towards the sharks. And they put giant posters of sharks in movie theaters. And they put a bunch of shark attack scenes on television. And they knew, because you love watching Shark Week, because you love the Meg and you love Jaws, you're going to see this. This is something that used to happen a lot and doesn't really happen anymore. And that's what's so puzzling about it. But I guess, I don't know, like that movie Crawl. Remember Crawl? A few months ago. Another box office hit. But like a surprise sleeper hit. Um, I don't think that movie had any major actors in it, right? Had a $13 million budget ended up grossing 38. Just a monster movie. Straightforward monster movie. I guess Sam Raimi... Slapped his name on it as a producer, but other than that, yeah, you're coming for the crocodile. This used to be a very popular thing. As a matter of fact, we do this show, Why Is This a Thing? Me, Nick, Adam, sometimes Zach, when he's not saving the world in Afghanistan. Um, (laughs) We do this thing about shitty movies, and I would say a good 20% of the movies we cover are movies like 47 Meters Down Uncaged. Totally incoherent as actual films. <laughs> totally irredeemable in terms of content and style. But surprisingly bankable. Because creature features sell themselves. The shark is the star. The alligator is the star. The snake is the star. The creature is the star of the feature. So why waste your money on Matthew Modine? Let's just up the CGI budget. And again, this was something in the 80s that worked. I mean, we're doing the Piranha movies right now on Why Is This a Thing? We just covered the first Piranha film from 1978. It's a straight Jaws ripoff. There is nothing separating that movie from the original Jaws other than the fact that it's a pile of shit. Somehow made money, somehow spawned a franchise. There have been reboots and sequels decades later. I didn't think that happened anymore. I, I guess it does, though. And I feel like 
This is where Hollywood is heading. You know, the middle is being removed from the movie business. You either have a $400 million star-studded superhero movie or a $2 million monster flick and we're going to save every expense we can because we're playing Moneyball. We're trying to be efficient. People are going to see it if they see a shark. Mandy Moore isn't upping the box office returns that significantly. I, I was just so tickled by the abandoning of pretense. You know what I mean? I was just so tickled by the balls on this movie. Yeah, you like sharks. Come see our shark movie. And they just go all in on the shark attacks. And it's actually kind of a silly idea. Again, if you'd like to see 47 Meters Down uncaged, I would not recommend it. You don't have to see the original. But here's the premise. There's like this ancient Aztec city that has somehow been uh, submerged underwater completely and covered by the ground. I'm not exactly sure on the physics of this. But anyway, so these girls start exploring this underwater Aztec city because, of course, they live in Mexico and they all speak perfect English. Um, So they're exploring the Aztec city with scuba gear and uh, they discover there are sharks. But, of course, these sharks, they've evolved to live in the darkness in this underwater city, so they're completely blind, but they operate with their keen sense of smell and sound. Uh, And, of course, you know, some people die. There's some carnage. It's quite amusing. Another great takeaway from 47 Meters Down Uncaged. Did not realize this is how physics works, but you learn something new every day, especially in the world of science. Um, Apparently, you can weld underwater. Didn't know. That's how it worked. Not a big welder. Don't fancy myself great with metal work. But yeah, there's a character in this movie doing work under the sea. Welding mask on. Welding pieces of metal together. Unbelievable. 47 meters down, uncaged. You learn something new every day. Now I'm going to get a bunch of emails. Well, actually, Nico, if you... Use the correct phosphorus. Turns out, fuck off. Welding doesn't work underwater. I don't want to hear it. I will not hear that shit. (laughs) I don't want to hear your global warming conspiracies. I don't want to hear that the earth is round. And I certainly don't want to hear that welding is possible under the ocean. Oh, boy. Can you tell my voice is shot? You know, most podcast professionals would probably ease up on the vocal cords in a time of great illness. Perhaps if he had just been diagnosed with pneumonia four days ago, you'd maybe uh, use a more monotone voice for the duration of the program. But no, I, I don't podcast at half speed. I'm yelling, I'm shouting, I'm hooting, I'm hollering. That's how it goes, man. Here on TooManyThoughtsMedia.com. Um, what else? What else do you want to talk about? Oh, um, that morning show trailer. The morning show starring Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell. Supposedly the first original program we're going to get from Apple TV+. Plus. 
we finally got a trailer. So I guess we were led to believe that the morning show would be a sitcom or at least a light dramedy about the ins and outs of a morning television show. It was based on, I guess, the book from Brian Stelter, but it seems like this is going to be a little more complicated. The trailer implies that Steve Carell is a bit of a Matt Lauer figure who's been caught up in the Me Too scandal who leaves his co-host, Jennifer Aniston, high and dry on the morning television show. Looks a lot heavier than we first suspected. Looks heavy considering the cast of Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell. Of course, all of them have worked in drama before, but they are known primarily as comedic actors. And I think, I don't know, given the name of the show, given the source material that it was based on, given the talent behind it, we would get something a little more comedic, a little more light. Also, since the Apple Corporation is working on it, I'm not sure they're going to be making a lot of gritty, fringe, TVMA stuff. Maybe that is what we're getting. I don't know. It remains to be seen. Apple TV has not given us much of anything. Uh, I'll say this, though. The trailer looks like a million bucks. I'm not sure I'm interested in this tone. Like, it doesn't look particularly funny. And considering that three really funny actors are at the center of this thing, I'd like to see a laugh every now and again. Like, I'm not against trying dramatic stuff. I'm not against dramas being funny or comedies being dramatic. Um, This just, just, it looks a bit dour. It looks a bit too bleak. But here I am again, prejudging a show before I see it. I'll watch this show. I'll subscribe to Apple TV Plus, whatever the hell they want to charge me. I'm going to sign up for all these streaming services. Sorry, wallet. (laughs) That's where this is going. Of course, I'm going to watch the morning show. It looks great. It actually looks, and don't take this the wrong way, it looks like an Apple commercial. And that's not an insult because Apple commercials, for the most part, look spectacular. Apple commercials are some of the best short films produced yearly. Like One of the most anticipated moments of my year is watching the first NFL game on Thanksgiving because that's when Apple always debuts their Christmas commercial and they routinely blow me away they're incredible production quality and and uh yeah this show just looks like it's straight from the brain of Steve Jobs so yeah I'm in just a little skeptical that wasn't what I was expecting I was looking for something a little lighter but what do I know great cast also yeah Billy Crudup and Mark Duplass are in the show, turns out. Yeah, the morning show. I'll get down to that. Um, oh, yeah, there was this Obi-Wan news. Disney Plus is working on an Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff movie starring Ewan McGregor. I'm sorry, not a movie, a television show for Disney Plus. Initially, the plan was to make it a movie. And after the flop that was... Star Wars Solo, the Han Solo prequel, they uh, decided to abandon ship and move the production to Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, Disney+, Plus is going to have a lot of stuff. Man, that is going to be a dangerous platform. Look out for Disney+. Plus. This is just unbelievable. You know, to think like 10 years ago, Ewan McGregor coming back, he was at one point the star of the biggest franchise in the world, him and Hayden Christensen. 
were supposed to be the next two. They were supposed to be like Leo and Clooney. And they are, I guess, I don't know. I guess Hayden Christensen doesn't work at all. Ewan McGregor still gets work every now and again and was very good in Fargo that one season. Um, But just to think 10 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah, they're going to make a Star Wars spinoff and it's about Obi-Wan and it's just going to be a TV show and it'll be streaming on like the sixth streaming service you've subscribed to in the past month and 20-year-old version of yourself would be like, what's a streaming service? And... <laughs> That's when the questioning would start. But yeah, it's just uh, crazy. It's just crazy to me how big these franchises have gotten. Where news of an Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff barely makes a blip in the radar. And it's just another TV show, another asset, another piece of intellectual property for Disney to put in its vault for its ongoing war with Netflix just crazy to me how much content there is and how much content there will continue to be it's we're only this is only growing exponentially it's only going to get worse i of course have no opinion on an obi-wan spinoff like what do you want me to say we're doing a hawkeye miniseries guys like really (laughs) what do you want me to say i yeah i'll watch it i don't know what it's going to be like i have no information we've been given so many announcements We've just been dumped this information, all this production. I I don't know. I'll watch it. That's my opinion. I will watch it. Will it be good? I have no idea. Flip a fucking coin. Oh, yeah. Isn't Disney also... I didn't want to talk about this because it's a little old news. Um, But they're, they're doing a Home Alone reboot for Disney+. Plus. I, and that is not clear if they're going to make that a TV show or a movie. And everyone's upset about this. And uh, I present to the jury... <laughs> Exhibit A. If you are triggered by the news of a Home Alone reboot, I present to the jury Home Alone The Holiday Heist, otherwise known as Home Alone 5, which was a straight-to-DVD movie from 2012 no i'm sorry straight to television movie abc family home alone 5 the holiday heist starring some girl who's not kevin McAllister, and malcolm mcdowell oh my god what is this thing yeah in case you haven't noticed home alone's been like making sequels for years now they're already on home alone 5 Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, was in 2002. Some other kid played Kevin. And Home Alone 3, which was a theatrical movie that no one saw, also had a different kid in it. And that was from 97. So spare me with your, oh, they're going to tarnish the Home Alone series. They already tarnished it. The Home Alone series has a majority bad movies. The bad movies outnumber the good movies in the Home Alone series. Whatever Disney Plus does can't possibly be worse than Home Alone the Holiday Heist. Uh, What else? Oh, here's some recommendations. Here's actually just one recommendation. Y'all need to watch Succession. I'm not going to go too far into it. Maybe one of these days I'll do a full segment on Succession. But uh, the show is currently in its second season. Two episodes have aired so far on HBO. Season one debuted last year 
and I have been standing the show ever since. Oh, I do not like that I use the word stan. Sorry. Oh, no. Do I kiss my mother with this mouth? Ugh. What the hell? Stanning? I apologize. I've been repping this show. I don't fucking know. I've been a fan of this show since the beginning. It's my favorite show on TV. You need to catch up. I will not spoil any details about season two, but the show has not lost a step. In fact, it's getting better and better each episode. It's just great character work. It's so funny. It's so sharply written. It's it, it's totally entertaining, but beyond that, it has such incredibly drawn, complicated characters that you can't help but root for, even though they are the most atrocious people on the planet. And the show makes no ifs, ands, or buts about the fact These are terrible people. You would not like to spend any time with them in real life, but from the comfort of your living room, watching their every move unfold on television, oh yeah, it's so tasty, so sweet. Succession season two, it is the best thing that I have watched in a very long time, um, and we'll talk about it more as the weeks go on. I also watched Mindhunter. I'm five episodes into season two of Mindhunter, and um, you know I'm going to save that. I want to talk to Adam Hall about that. Yeah, maybe this week on Movie Hall of Fame, if we do it. All right, that's it. That's cultured. I got to go. I, I'm going to go die now. I need to take some Tylenol. This was such a bad idea. Uh, com or tmt.media for short. Go there. Subscribe to all the podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. It's all available. Listen to our shows. You know the drill. And you know how much I love you. And you know how much I want you back in my life very, very soon. How's next week sound? Hopefully I've recovered from my podmonia. And you can join me right here. Same time, same place. Because you know what happens here. This is the only place where you and I get a chance to get... Culture! Oh, I'm dying. <laughs>